The uh, stay-at-home orders due to coronavirus have brought additional stresses for many. Uh, in many ways, it is added to the stress of mothers in particular. Uh, perhaps you are having to prepare more meals and certainly eating out less. The children are home all day, requiring more attention. For many mothers with young children, they're doing schoolwork with their children that they wouldn't normally uh, do, and it's taking a lot of their time. Uh, it's more difficult to do shopping right now. More demands are being placed on mothers by the family. There's less time for yourself, less alone time. Perhaps for older mothers, uh, you are experiencing a sense of loneliness this morning, wishing to be with your family or your grandchildren, your children, and uh, you're staying at home. Well, it's not the kind of Mother's Day that we are used to, but uh, we pray for God's grace for each one. When people are overworked and stressed, it's very easy to feel put upon, to feel taken for granted, that no one understands what I'm going through and the work that I'm doing, to feel as though no one appreciates me, no one notices. Perhaps today, even Mother's Day, is a downer because it's not being celebrated the way it normally would. Well, I want to make it very clear to you this morning that when you feel unappreciated and think that no one notices what you do, I want you to reflect on this simple truth. The Lord sees you. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows. He understands. He cares. And that is a cause for rejoicing and comfort. The thought for today, and really the thought for a lifetime, is that the Lord sees me. That's our theme for this morning's Mother's Day message. God sees me. Our key verse is taken from Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. It's Hagar's words, and she, and she states, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly have I seen him who looks after me. I have seen him who looks after me. The first thing we want to note from this text is that the Lord sees Hagar and the Lord sees us in our affliction. The Lord sees Hagar and the Lord sees us in our afflictions. Begin by looking at the cause of Hagar's affliction. In one sense, the affliction that was brought upon Hagar was not of her own doing. Sarah was unable to have a child at this point in her life, Genesis 16, 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now I'd like to make a disclaimer at this point, and I know that our text refers to Sarah as Sarai, for her name has not yet been changed, and it refers to Abraham as Abram, because his name had not yet been changed. Nonetheless, I'm going to be using the names Sarah and Abraham this morning, uh, simply uh, because if I don't, I'll probably just misspeak a lot. So I'm going to be using the name Sarah and Abraham uh, this morning instead of Sarai and Abram. Sarah had developed a scheme to have a child by proxy. That is to have a child by another 
that is going to be considered Sarah's child. If you look at verse 1, picking up the words, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So that's her, her plan, and Sarah executes her plan in verse 3, the end of uh, the verse. Uh, it starts with, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. At this point, Sarah had gone against the will of God. That is never a good idea to seek to go against the will of God. However, this morning's message is not going to concentrate upon Sarah or Abraham. And we could look at some detail about Sarah's scheme and Abraham's reaction to it, but the focus of this morning's message is upon Hagar. Hagar. And as we consider Hagar, at this point, she is without fault. This is not her scheme, it's Sarah's scheme. Hagar had not sought to seduce Abraham. She had not devised this marriage, and she had no say in the matter of what was taking place, for she was but a servant. So the application first is that sometimes hardship and affliction come upon us through no fault of our own. This coronavirus, for example, with all the limitations and inconveniences that go along with it, has not been created by us nor a matter of our own wrongdoing. And yet it is difficult. And we still have to deal with the uh, circumstances that we find ourselves in. So too with Hagar. However, in another sense, Hagar did bring the affliction upon herself because of the way that she responded to Sarah. If you look at Genesis 16:4, it says, And he, that's Abram, went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. King James says she despised her mistress. To look with contempt upon someone is to look down upon someone. It means to treat one with disrespect. Hagar, the handmaid, now, due to her pregnancy, viewed herself as superior to Sarah. Hagar saw herself as more valuable to Abraham and a better wife to Abraham because she provided him with a child. And perhaps she may even have thought that Abraham would love her more than Sarah because she is going to provide Abraham with a child. And of course, Sarah did not appreciate being despised in that way. So Sarah confronts Abraham and says that he is the wrong for allowing Hagar to treat Sarah that way. Verse 5, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. This is your fault. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, 
she looked on me with contempt. Now these words, may the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord decide who's in the wrong here because you're not doing anything about this. Well, Abraham takes Sarah's side over Hagar, verse six. But Abraham said to Sarah, I behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. So Abraham washes his hands of the situation, says that uh, Sarah is over Hagar, that Sarah is his wife. <coughs> Hagar is the servant of Sarah, and Sarah can treat Hagar any way that she wants. Well, that brings a terrible situation. And so we look at the nature of Hagar's affliction. Hagar was treated harshly by Sarah, the end of verse 6. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, that's Hagar, and she fled from her. Harshly is a good translation. Sarah raised her voice to Hagar. But more than that, the essence is that Sarah put Hagar in her place. We often use that kind of terminology, putting a person in their place. Uh, Hagar had exalted herself. Hagar had seen herself as superior to Sarah. So Sarah is going to put Hagar in her place. Though Hagar was a wife to Abram, though Hagar was the mother of Abraham's child, Hagar was still a servant to Sarah and under her authority. Verse 6, Abram says, Behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Her station in life had not changed. Hagar was not to be exalted above Sarah, and Sarah put uh, Hagar in her place. Hagar's response of looking upon Sarah with contempt contributed to the misery of the situation. So too, our responses to the situations that we find ourselves in life can contribute to the worsening of the situation, even when originally the situation was not of our own fault. Again, for example, as we think about this coronavirus, if everyone is griping and complaining, it will not make for the most pleasant of Mother's Days today. If we just reflect on the limitations and the things that we normally would be doing and we can't do, and we start feeling put upon and neglected and miserable, as a result, it's only going to add to our misery and our suffering. Therefore, our responses to life situations have a great deal to do with our contentedness and our happiness. So what does Hagar do? What's her response to be treating harshly? Hagar runs from the situation. The end of verse 6. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So she runs. The second point that we want to focus upon in our text is that Hera, Hagar encounters the Lord who sees her. Hagar encounters the Lord who sees her, starting at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. 
And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The Lord graciously initiates the counter. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her. I'm not going to be sidetracked this morning into a lengthy discussion about the angel of the Lord. Uh, there is much discussion as to whether that is the Lord himself or a representative of the Lord. Either way, it is the Lord's doing, and the angel is communicating the word of the Lord. The emphasis is on the word of the Lord. If you look at Genesis 16, 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. So she took the angel of the Lord as speaking the word of God, speaking for God. So this morning, I'm going to be focusing on um, Hagar's encounter with God. And once again, it is God who's initiating the encounter. For it says in verse 7, the angel Lord found her. The Hebrew word that is translated find means to go to. The Lord went to her. The Lord uh, sought out Hagar. And the Lord listens to Hagar's complaint. Um, if you look at verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, you shall bear a son, you shall call his name Ishmael. And now these words, Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He listened to what Hagar had to say. God listens to Hagar's complaint by asking her questions. Starting at verse 8, he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Uh, he gives Hagar an opportunity to express what is on her heart and the feelings that she has been experiencing. It should be noted that the question that the Lord asks of Hagar is for Hagar's benefit, not the Lord's. God is not seeking understanding for himself. God is not trying to get a handle of what is going on, but rather, through these questions, God is seeking Hagar to come to a better understanding. We know that this is not for God's benefit and understanding, for the text reveals that God is very much aware of the entire situation. God does not need to be informed. The Lord knows who Hagar is. He calls her by name in verse 8. He said, Hagar, Hagar. And the Lord knows what Hagar's situation is and refers to her as a servant of Sarai in verse 8. So once again, these questions are not for God's benefit. They are for Hagar's benefit. God is allowing Hagar to tell her story. God allows and even initiates us to pour out our complaints to him. 
You don't have to hide your thoughts, your frustrations, your struggles from God. In fact, you cannot hide them. The scripture tells us he knows our thoughts even afar off. And yet he invites us to bring them to the Lord in prayer. Often the psalmist David pours out his complaint to God. We are encouraged to cast our care upon him knowing that he cares for us. This morning, I would encourage you to deal with your frustrations, uh, to deal with your feelings, to deal with your heartaches by taking them to the Lord and making those feelings known to him. The Lord asks her a specific question. The Lord asks, where has she come from and where is she going? Notice verse 8. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Her answer is interesting. She states at the end of verse 8, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. She answers the first part of the question, where she's come from. She's fleeing from her mistress, Sarai. But she doesn't answer the second part of the question, where are you going? Why doesn't she answer that question? Answer, she does not know where she's going. She has no place to go. She's on her own. But she's soon to find out that she is not all alone. The Lord is with her. My point is that the Lord's question is designed to show Hagar her uh, helpless situation. The question is designed to cause Hagar to come to grips with her hopeless situation. Her running away from her mistress only made the matters worse. She had fled with no place to go. It's the proverbial jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire of only making the situation worse not better. The realization of her hopelessness will prepare her to accept the instruction that is about to come. That is to return to her mistress and submit to her. It's kind of like the prodigal son who left his father's house only to find that it wasn't as bad as he thought it was and needed to return. Here God is going to instruct uh, Hagar to return to Sarah and be submissive to her. And this sense of hopelessness is going to prepare her to receive that instruction. So the Lord instructs Hagar as to what to do. Verse 9, the angel Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Hagar is to go back, she's to return. And Hagar is to go back to being a handmaiden, this time respecting Sarah. Hagar is to go back with the proper attitude. She's not to go back and lord it over Sarah that Hagar is having a child, but rather she's to go back and be submissive and to take on that role once again of being a handmaiden to Sarah. Through the Lord's grace, Hagar sees her situation in a new light. 
The Lord's instruction is the means of God's provision and deliverance. Notice verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. God is watching over her, she says. He is looking after me. Now that's interesting. Because the way in which he is looking after her is by telling her to return to her mistress and uh, to submit to her. So how is the Lord acting, watching over her in this instruction? Well, first of all, the Lord's providing for Hagar and for her child. In returning to her mistress, she will be in the place where she is cared for. Food will be provided. She and her child will be protected. This is the place of safety for Hagar. The Lord's deliverance is found in the words, submit to her. She was fleeing from this terrible situation of Sarah treating Hagar harshly. How is she to be treated with care? How is Hagar to be treated in a loving manner? Answer, submit to her. The admonition is, inter is interesting. It's not return to your husband, although she would be returning to her husband. The admonition is return to your mistress. Have respect for Sarah by submitting to her. And in so doing, the harshness will end. In so doing, her situation is going to change dramatically. The Lord's instruction is always for our good. Through his word, God teaches us how to live. And in responding to life's situations in accordance with God's word, we find the goodness of God. We find his provision and we find his protection as a result, not as a reward, but as a consequence of living in keeping with God's word, it in of itself is a deliverance to us. It's a blessing to follow God's instruction, even when that instruction is hard or difficult. And so this morning, we are instructed in God's word to give thanks in every situation. We are instructed not to murmur and not to complain. And as we follow that instruction, it will even change our attitudes towards uh, being in the house all day, towards this coronavirus, as we learn to be thankful for God, provision in his care, the fact that we have food to eat, the fact that God is watching over us. God provides for Hagar with hope for the future. Hagar is going to have a son by God's grace, verse 10. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. Hagar was not superior to Sarah because Hagar was having a child. She viewed herself as superior because she was with a child and Sarah was not. Hagar was to learn that it was not of her doing. It was of the, of the Lord's doing. It had been the Lord who had 
prevented Sarah from having a child. Verse 2, Sarah said, Abraham, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. That was the will of God up until that point. She had no children. Why did Hagar have a child? Because the Lord allowed that to take place. Because the Lord enabled her to conceive. This was God's doing. This was not Hagar's superiority. This was God's grace in her life. Hagar was a recipient of God's grace. And God speaks of a multitude of descendants that are going to come. And what's interesting is that they're going to be considered as Hagar's descendants, not Sarah's descendants. That was the initial intent, that the child would be uh, treated as Sarah's child. Ishmael is never treated as Sarah's child. Now, there's good and bad to that. Uh, for uh, There's going to be warring, there's going to be difficulty that's going to take place from the descendants of uh, Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael. But the point is that here God says to uh, Hagar, you're going to have a multitude of descendants. Hagar is reminded of the Lord's goodness. In verse 11, says the angel Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. The name Ishmael means God has heard. Notice the end of verse 11, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction, you are to call your son's name Ishmael, which means God has heard. The name Ishmael is to serve as a constant reminder to Hagar that the Lord had listened to her affliction, that the Lord had listened to her complaint, that the Lord had noticed her, that the Lord had compassion upon her and dealt with her in a kindly way because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Ishmael will be able to care for himself, verse 12. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against his brothers. This refers to the difficulty that's going to come uh, through the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of uh, Isaac. It's not going to be a, a pretty picture, but the point here is that Ishmael's going to be able to hold his own. Uh, Ishmael is going to prosper. Uh, Ishmael is going to have a people that are named after him. God is going to provide and care for Ishmael as well. Hagar's response is that she rejoices in the Lord's care of her. That response comes in two forms. First, she ascribes the Lord glory as the God who sees. Genesis 16.3. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. In the Hebrew, it is Elroi. Elroi. The God who sees. In a play on words, Hagar says that she now sees God who sees her. She has come to understand his care and his goodness. He looks after 
her. Application. Are you able to rejoice this morning in realizing that the Lord is watching over you? The Lord is aware of our situation. The Lord knows our thoughts. He knows our feelings. He knows our frustrations. And he is watching over us. He watches over us through his instruction, through his word. As we read and meditate and reflect upon his word and seek to be obedient to it, we see it as his protection. We see it as his goodness. Lord watches over us in hearing our complaints and allowing us to pray to him and to pour out our hearts to him. Lord watches over us through his word. Perhaps even this morning, as you sat down in front of your device and uh, began to listen to this message, perhaps you were not in the, the best of moods. I hope that now your mood has changed a little. I hope that you now see life in a little different way than you saw it just a mere 40 minutes ago. As you reflect upon a God who sees you. Her second response is to establish a memorial to God's care, verse 14. Therefore, the well was called Bier Lohoi Boy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. She named the well Bier Lohoi Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. She rejoiced that she has seen the Lord and that he watches over her. And now there is this reminder of this event, of this circumstance in her life where she came to realize, uh, perhaps for the very first time, that the Lord is watching over her. And she memorializes it. God has given Hagar a memorial that she would not forget in calling her child's name Ishmael. Now she had established her own memorial in calling this well the God who sees. Conclusion. I hope that today that this message is really life-changing. Life-changing in the sense that we will really purpose from this day forward to constantly seek to remind ourselves that the Lord is watching over me, that the Lord sees, that when no one else seems to appreciate or care, the Lord sees. When no one else is ready to hear our complaints or listen to our story, God welcomes us. God invites us to pour out our hearts to him in prayer. And like Hagar, it's not so that he knows what's in our hearts. He already knows. It's not so that he can come to understand our thoughts, for he already understands our thoughts. In a large part, it's for our benefit, so that as we pour out our hearts towards God in our prayers, by the work of the Spirit of God, who makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, for the Lord himself intercedes for us according to the will of God that as we pour out our hearts towards God, it brings us up short. 
The Spirit of God ministers to us, teaches us of the Lord's grace and goodness. I would encourage you to think this morning about a way in which you could commemorate or establish a memorial to help you be reminded of the truth that the Lord sees me. The Lord sees me. For Hagar, it was the name Ishmael. For Hagar, it was the naming of a well. The Lord sees me. Perhaps you could make a decoration. Uh, something that could be hung in your home that, that says, literally, the Lord sees me. Embroider something. Count a cross stitch. Words painted on a sign. Or print out an ornate design on the computer that says, the Lord sees me. Write in the flyleaf of your Bible the simple words, the Lord sees me, with the reference of Genesis 16, 13 behind it. Even more significantly, may we make a place in our hearts. May we often say to ourselves, the Lord sees me. May we offer up our prayers, thanking God that he sees me. May we start each day with a recognition that the Lord has seen me, sees me. Perhaps from now on, every Mother's Day, could take on a unique significance as you reflect upon this Mother's Day that's like no other. Uh, you are sitting at home and uh, unable to go out because of the coronavirus. You're going to remember this Mother's Day for your years to come. And as you reflect upon this Mother's Day, and you tell the story to your children and your grandchildren. May you not just remember the coronavirus, but may you remember this message. May you remember that that day you came to realize in a greater way that the Lord sees me. And knowing that, it changes the way that we view our situation. Today, will you rejoice? Will you give thanks that the Lord sees you? He's watching over you. He's protecting you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the way in which you seek us out. And this morning, you have ministered to us through your word, your written word, this narrative that's recorded in the scriptures and has spoken the word this morning as we have preached this message. You have revealed yourself to us as the God who sees. So Lord, help us to rejoice in knowing that you watch over us. You see, you're aware, you care. And Lord, may we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. May you ease our fears May we see our situation in a new light. And may we truly be able to give thanks and praise unto your name for that which we are experiencing this day, knowing that you watch over us, you care for us, you see us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Have a wonderful week.